you've been with us, we have been working our way through the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be covering this year 1st and 2nd Samuel together. It's already been an amazing study. We turn from the story of Hannah dedicating her son Samuel as he ministered in the presence of Eli to a much darker and much more difficult story, the story of Eli's sons. So would you please stand now for the reading of God's word? We're going to read uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. I'll read through verse 17, and then I will continue again with reading verse 30. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, a priest's servant would come. While the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who is sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And now continuing with verse 30, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who I honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon you, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he will go in and out before my anointed forever." And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. My first car was a 1991 Nissan Pathfinder. It had about 200,000 miles on it. It was green and had one of those silver Jesus fish on the back. You know the ones I'm talking about. It was a silver ichthus with a little cross in the middle of it. I put it on there shortly after I'd become a Christian. I suppose I wanted to identify myself as a believer in Jesus. I wanted to represent him. I wanted people to know that I was a Christian. It wasn't until a few years later that I realized maybe this wasn't the best idea. Now, I don't mean any offense to any of you if you have a Jesus fish on your car, 
But I don't know if you've ever been cut off by somebody driving a car with a Jesus fish on the back of it. Or if you've ever been driving down Central and somebody just screams past you speeding by and there is a Jesus fish right there. Or if you've ever been waiting for a spot, parking spot at the mall, patiently with your blinker on and then out of nowhere someone swoops in and yes, on the back of their car, there's a Jesus fish. See, there's a funny thing that happens when we get behind the wheel We assume that we are the perfect driver and that everybody else is just in our way. Everybody else is just driving erratically and dangerously and we're not the problem. And so it took me a little while, enough of these encounters to suddenly realize, wait a minute, I am that guy. I mean, how many times have I sped or cut somebody off? Maybe not intentionally, right? But I cut them off or came around the corner of a parking lot and didn't realize that somebody was, had their blink on, right? And yet all the while there I was with a Jesus fish on the back of my car. So suddenly I realized, look, if you're trying to represent God on the road, then you better make sure that you are going to drive perfectly the way that Jesus Christ would want you to drive. And so I was faced with a dilemma and really only one option. I took the Jesus fish off my car. Now, why do I say that? I think all of us recognize that when you represent something bigger than yourself, what you do matters. It matters to you. It matters to the thing that you're representing. And you've probably felt this before if you've ever worn a uniform or ever worked in a job that was public or ever served in a political office. It's the reason why when public figures fall, it's so scandalous. Because not only does it bring shame upon them, but it brings shame upon the thing they represent. This morning, we're looking at the story of Eli's sons. They were public figures. They were called to serve as priests of the Lord. And they were wicked men. Everything they did was filled with contempt. They were corrupt. And everything they did, they did it wrongfully as a priest. And so as they represented God, they misrepresented him to everyone else. And this is what we call blasphemy. This morning, we're looking at a very difficult story. It's difficult because if we're going to be honest this morning, we find ourselves just like Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. The reality is that we too have been called by God to be his representatives. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves and with one another, how well have we really represented him? See, blasphemy is a serious sin. And it goes against the heart of the gospel. And it declares to the world that God is not worthy. He's not worthy of our praise and not worthy of our obedience. But what we will see this morning in such a difficult story is that the promise of God is there. That even though we fail to represent him, he has sent his representative 
who one day would make all things right. The first way I want to look at this story is this. I want to look at the sin of Eli's sons. Look with me at verse 11. It's a radical shift in the story, in the narrative. We're told that the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. He's just been dedicated. Hannah has just sung this song of worship and praise that out of heartbreak has come redemption. And then verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. It seems harsh, doesn't it? Why were they worthless? Well, the Bible tells us very quickly. They did not know the Lord. The Hebrew word here is the word regard. In other words, literally in the Hebrew it says they had no regard for the Lord. In other words, the sons of Eli, they didn't see him as God. They did not behold him as their king. They had no awe, no respect. They did not see him as worthy. They did not pay attention to him. He was just an afterthought, if even he was a thought at all. The book of Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Eli's sons did not fear the Lord. And because they did not fear the Lord, they did wicked things. Now I want you to recognize that we live in a world that has lost its fear of the world. It's lost its fear of God, its reverence, its awe for him. And I want you to think of this in terms of, oh, those bad people out there. I want us to wrestle with the fact that all of us have succumbed to this, that our culture has told us that God is not a God to be revered. He's not worthy. He's small. Rather than being made in his image, we have tried to make him in ours. Let me show you what I mean. I don't know if you can see that from the balcony, but that there is a genuine Jesus Christ action figure. I don't know if you've seen one of these before. Now, other than being a terrible depiction of what Jesus actually looked like, I think it's a great picture, a great picture of what our world sees when they think of Jesus Christ. You see, in our culture today, Jesus Christ is nothing more than an action figure, a common, just comic book character. He's a superhero. For us to call on or come to our rescue when we feel like we are in need. But he's definitely not the king of kings. We don't see him as the Lord of lords. We don't see him as the one who is worthy of our praise, of our worship, We don't see him as the one who is worthy of, yes, even our fear. So the question for you and me this morning is this. Just how big is your view of God? How do you understand him? Is he your king? Have you bowed down before him? Have you submitted every aspect of your life to him? Do you treat him with reverence, with awe? When you think about his character and what he has done, how he's crafted the world with his handiwork, how he's made the stars and the heavens, how he's knit us together in our mother's womb, does it fill you with praise? Or like the sons of Eli, 
have you made him as small as you possibly can? Because here's the deal. When you fail to see Jesus Christ as your king, you will make yourself your own king. And you will seek to establish your own kingdom. And you will do exactly what the book of Judges says over and over and over again. You will do what is right in your own eyes. And this is what Hophni and Phinehas did. They did what was right in their own eyes. And what was right in their eyes was incredibly wicked. Look with me at verse 13. It says that the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests. And that their custom was that they would come to a sacrifice. The sacrifice of their people. And that they would take a three-pronged fork and stick it in. And whatever it brought off, they would keep for themselves. What's more is later we're told that they would want the meat raw. Not burned. Not already sacrificed. But they wanted to keep as much of it for themselves. Now what's going on here? The book of Leviticus details in great detail of what sacrificial worship was supposed to look like. And the people of God are bringing their peace offerings before the Lord, and Hophni and Phinehas, these priests, are keeping it for themselves. And others, they're stealing from the sacrificial worship of the people. The book of Leviticus tells us that when the sacrifice was made, the best parts were to be burned, the fatty parts, the best cuts of meat. But for these priests, they want none of it burned. They wanted the best parts for themselves. They were literally making themselves fat on the fat of the people, the fat that belonged to God himself. They were desecrating the worship of God. And as priests, as his representatives, they were misrepresenting him to all of the people. You think, well, how could they do such a thing? How could they be so callous? How could their hearts be so hard? How could they not recognize that they weren't just stealing from people, but they were stealing from God himself because their view of God was very small. You see, the sin of Hophni and Phinehas was not just theft, was blasphemy. They had misrepresented God in their own minds and were misrepresenting him to everyone else. And so God saw right through them, right through their action to the blasphemy that lied underneath. Blasphemy is a serious offense. And what we see in the story of Hophni and Phinehas, if anything, is that it's much more darker and much more sinister than just uttering out a word, swearing when you stub your toe. It's incredibly dangerous. The second thing I want to look at, the judgment and justice of God. Our God is king. He is Lord, he is savior, he is majestic, and he will stop at nothing to get his glory And so verse 23, Eli comes to his sons. He says, why do you do such things? For I hear your evil dealings with all these people. No, my sons, it is no good. This report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. 
If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Here's Eli's point. It's one thing for you to sin against another person because then another person can stand in between. But who can mediate for you? Who can intercede for you if you sin against God himself? This is what makes blasphemy so dangerous for our souls. Eli is saying, look, if there's anything, again, that the book of Samuel teaches us that it's really every sin that we commit, every sin is rooted in blasphemy because every sin is ultimately a sin against God. Every sin. You see, we sin when our view of God is very small. The smaller our view of God is, the bigger our view of ourselves is. The more likely we're going to agree with the temptation of the serpent who says, did God really say? The temptation of the serpent who says, you don't need to listen to him. Listen to yourself. You are your own authority. You are your own judge. You are your own king. Build your own kingdom. But this is blasphemy. Webster defines blasphemy in this way. It's the act of insulting or showing a lack of reverence for God. The Bible defines blasphemy with the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Taking the name of the Lord in vain is much more than uttering a swear word. It's anything we say or anything we do that is born out of a lack of reverence for God. It's any action, any sin that we commit that says God is not worthy. He's not worthy of my obedience. He's not worthy. He's not worthy of my praise. So what is God worth to you this morning? What is he worth to you? How big is your view of God? For Hophni and Phinehas, it was so small that they were willing to show contempt for God's offering. Look with me, verse 17. The sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. As God's representatives, they misrepresented God. This is what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. Notice what it says in the beginning of verse 17. Their sin was very great in the eyes of the Lord, not because they were bullies and not because they were thieves, but because they had shown contempt for the offering. And what would that look like today? What would it look like for us to show contempt for the offering of the Lord today? Not the tithe. I don't think that's the kind of offering that's in view here. The offering that the people were bringing was called a peace offering. It was the sacrifice of blood of an animal to make peace with God. The offering that we show contempt on today is the offering of Jesus Christ. We show contempt for the cross every time that we think we don't need it. 
that our good is good enough. We show contempt for the cross every time that we think our sin is too deep for the power of the cross. We think there's too much shame, too much broken in us that God would never save a sinner like me. That's contempt for the cross. And so this morning, I want to ask you, have you shown contempt for the offering of the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, or have you received him as your Savior? The third and final thing I want to look at this morning as we end is this, the promise of a faithful priest. As bad as Eli's sons were, I think all of us have a hard time with God's judgment. And God's judgment comes to Eli's sons. He says that I'm going to put them to death. They're going to die on the same day. His judgment comes to Eli and says that for you, Eli, the priestly line is going to end with your family. It's over with you. No longer will your family be the family of power and honor because you've honored your sons before you have honored me. This morning, I wonder, do you feel some of that judgment? As you think about your own role as God's representative, have you represented him well? I think if you're going to be honest like me, we all have to recognize we haven't. We haven't, have we? That so often in the name of Jesus Christ as God's people, as his representatives, Even as the priests that we've been called to be, we have failed him time and time again. And so what do we do? Even in the midst of judgment, there is God's promise. See, the justice of God is never meant to stop in vengeance. The justice of God is in order to make things right. And we see God's justice here at the end. All the while, while Eli's sons are desecrating the priesthood, God promised a faithful priest. Look with me, verse 35. God promises, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Just as it was for Hannah, God is doing more behind the scenes than we can see. If you have your bulletin, I want you to look at verse 11 with me. Eli's sons are busy destroying the priesthood, and God is raising up a faithful priest. Verse 11, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. I want you to turn the page, look at verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. Verse 21, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Verse 26, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord with man. In 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Eli's sons, misrepresenting God desecrating the priesthood, all the while God is raising up a faithful priest, a faithful priest named Samuel, who would serve the Lord, who would usher in his kingdom and his reign. 
Later in 2 Samuel, we're told that this priestly line continues with a priest named Zadok. Zadok was the high priest who served when King David came onto his throne. And where the priestly line ended with Eli, it continued forever through Zadok. Because ultimately this promise, the promise that God would one day send a faithful priest, was fulfilled in the priest, our high priest, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our faithful priest. And friends, what I want you to see as we close this morning is that because we have misrepresented God, God has sent his, represented, his representative for us. He sent a faithful high priest who did not just sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats, but gave up his own blood for you and for me. A faithful priest who was crucified outside of the camp, who rose again so that now he could live to intercede for you and for me as our representative, to be the priest we could never be. Have you shown contempt on him? Or have you received him as your priest, your king, your Lord, and your savior? Receive him, believe on his name, and be free. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be with us as we sing this final hymn, that we would turn away from our sin and that we would rest in the faithful priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the blood that he shed for us. We thank you that he has indeed paid it all. And Father, we pray that now as we worship you, that it would be an act of repentance. And that as we worship you, you would meet us here and that you would elevate our eyes, that you would help us to see just how great, just how big, just how majestic, and just how merciful you truly are. We ask this for your glory and our good. Amen.